I love this passage. It's one of my 359 favorite passages in Scripture, I think. Um, Love Isaiah 58. And today it kind of resonates from what Rich shared with us too. Of uh, We're directly addressing the issue of hunger and food security right here in DuPage County. And it speaks of meeting that kind of need and of God's favor being shown, of his light rising on us and shining on us. I think of Philippians where it says, You will shine like lights among, when we do good deeds, we shine like lights among a perverse and crooked generation. And so um, I love uh, Isaiah 58 for that. There's another reason it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, several of you know, but you may not know if you're new to Naperville Covenant, that I, I ran the Chicago Marathon for several years. And uh, last year I kicked back to the half marathon, and this year I kicked to one, I'm going to get one of those 0.0 stickers for my car because I, because of this pesky hernia disc, I'm not running. Uh, and I ran it not so that I could put the 26.2 sticker on my car. I don't do those. I don't do stickers. But anyway, um, I did it because I, I raised money for an organization called Rise International. I got connected with Rise through uh, friends of ours who had been missionaries in Angola, Africa, way back in the 50s and 60s. But they uh, left Angola and were not able to go back because Angola, some of you may remember, was plunged in a 27-year civil war. Uh, that war was over in 2002, and my friends went back and found the country just in deep, deep poverty and in ruins. Any infrastructure that had been there was destroyed. And they wanted to help in so many ways because there were so many deep, deep needs, but they couldn't do everything, so they decided to do one thing well, and they decided to build schools in rural Angola. And so they started with one school in 2003, and now there are 167. Here's a picture of me in front of the original school in Chalanda, simple mud brick structures that they got up real quickly as they started their work in 2000. 2003. That's me after a, uh, a run. And, uh, and then this picture now is a picture of the school in Jela. You can see the schools have improved a little bit. They've also gotten more expensive, and they've got some great partners uh, in Angola. Uh, and the Jela was actually dedicated just this last uh, summer, June 1st. Uh, Lynn Cole, who is the executive director of RISE and a good friend of mine, was present uh, at that dedication. When they came to name their organization, they went to the scriptures because it was their faith in God and their love for Jesus that motivated them. They came to our text in Isaiah 58 and they found their name in verse 10. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise. Your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Nine years ago, right about now, several of us gathered together to become Team Rise and ran our first marathon nine years ago. Uh, actually, several of us met about nine years ago today. You might not know that, but that was the day that I came. I think it was around September 15th when I came and uh, candidated here, and you voted yes, and whatever regrets there are, it doesn't matter now, but that day was a good day. And, um, uh, but I was also in the midst of raising money for my first marathon at that time, and we united as a Team Rise, and several of you now have become supporters and have supported that and enabled me to raise over $60,000 for Rise in the last nine years. Uh, not by myself, but with your help. But the point I want to make for today uh, is not to raise money, although I'll talk to you if you're interested, but my point today is to say that causes pull us together. That, that team of 13 that Rich put up there, that, that team is pulled together because of a, of a desire to do something good and to, to address some of these needs of food, food security, particularly for senior adults who can't easily get out of their homes and have limited incomes. Causes pull us together. They have a a power to unite us. They unite us around hunger, issues of hunger. We are also in our church united around some issues having to do with education and discrepancies and achievement gaps there. 
And even more for those of us who are followers of Christ, these causes and needs are, are those that are particularly uh, on God's heart. They have a power to unite us as well. I love it that Caleb picked the song, Hosanna. I just love that song anyway. But there's that one line in there that, that sticks with it. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that is our cry to say, break my heart for what breaks yours. And may we unite around all of that, Lord God. Causes have a power to unite us and pull us together. We've heard God's heart in Isaiah 58, and particularly in verses 6 and 7. It's spoken to all of Israel, all of God's people. And he says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So using this image of hunger as sort of our, our, our reality today, I want to say this point, that as the followers of Christ, and it all is rooted in our relationship with Christ, not as just good people, but as people who follow Christ and want to be his hands and feet and his light in the world, as followers of Christ, we are called to be united in our hunger for God and for that which God is hungry. I came up with a little, um, a little uh, equation here of hunger for those who hunger plus... Plus, hunger for that which God is hungry equals loving mercy and doing justice. Hunger for those who hunger and a hunger for that which, is God, which God is hungry, break from my heart for what breaks yours, equals loving mercy and doing justice. And let's look at how we can unite, unite around that. I first want to look at the issue of fasting because it brings it up in this passage. Fasting and, and physical hunger. It's a, fasting is a familiar um, concept. It's done, fasting is done for many reasons. I do it once or twice a year every time I have to go for some, some blood work. And I always ask, can I still drink coffee? And they said, as long as you don't put cream in it. And I say, that doesn't make it coffee anymore, so that's fine. I'm good. So I fast before lab work. Some people fast to kickstart a weight loss, even though it's a horrible way to start weight loss, but sometimes uh, they <clears throat> we do that. And... Um, Some people fast to cleanse our system of toxins, whether that really works or not. Some do it just to get themselves focused and identify something. Some do it to identify with those who are in need, to draw near to those who are suffering, to feel what others are feeling. In our youth ministry, every year we do the 30-hour famine. It's a world vision program where kids uh, do without food for 30 hours to raise their own awareness and to, to, to let their own stomach growl and identify with those who are in need. And, of course, it is a deep spiritual practice with deep biblical roots as well. It's used to refer mainly to uh, abstaining from something good for the sake of more awareness or to be more aware of God. But it's mainly about abstaining from food. Fasting was used at different points in the life of Israel. It was a special time of focus on the Lord. It was something that happened on the Day of Atonement when the people repented and came before God. And so their fasting was an expression of their repentance as well. And you can read that in Leviticus 16. It was an example of repenting, but other instances of seeking God's will and seeking God's protection. The people of God uh, fasted during the time, uh, uh, the time of Esther, and she called them to a fast of eating and drinking nothing for a time, crying out to God for the protection of her people during that time. Even though God's name is not mentioned, it's clear he's in the middle of it. All these different ways of fasting, but often for, simply for focus. I like to fast. I practice fasting off and on. I'd like to say that I'm doing it regularly now, but it's a little hit and miss. Often during Lent, Megan and I try to fast one day a week during Lent. 
And when I do it, I usually do all three meals. So it's about a th- it's a, like I eat dinner and then I don't eat until breakfast the day, however many hours that is. I guess it depends on when you go to bed and when you get up. But um, um, that's about the period that I do it. Sometimes I do it and I, and I, and I, I, I do it on a day that I really want to kind of intentionally be in prayer and read scripture and really seeking God and his will. Most times it's just a normal day. It's just a normal day but without meals. And at mealtime I drink some water or some juice or yeah, I still do coffee when I'm fasting. But anyway, um, but the idea is I do it just simply in the normal course of my day to be more aware of God's presence, to invite his presence. And every time my stomach growls, usually at the time that I might go prowl around and see if somebody left anything but butter in the church refrigerator or to see if there's something in the pantry at home, when my stomach growls, I find myself rather turning it back into sort of a, a, sort of a breath prayer that turns my attention back towards God. Every time there's that simple temptation or that urge to eat something, I just remember his presence, remember his sufficiency, and remember that others are feeling real hunger in a real way. Some people like to utter a short prayer like, Lord, let me be hungry for you. Just turn that hunger that's here into a hunger to know God better. There's been a few times in the course of our life as a church where we have fasted together. I can remember back when we started our vitality process several years ago where we fasted for a day voluntarily, of course. But it was also it was to, to, to an attempt to pursue unity with God's purposes, to, to seek his blessing for any challenges or decisions that we would be facing. And so in some ways we need to utter together as a church that, that prayer of, Lord, let us be hungry for you. Let us experience this physical hunger in order that we might be hungry for you. It's a developing a hunger for God in us well. In a sense, it's kind of a, a how bad do we want it? How, how bad do you want food when you're really, really hungry? Can, can we have that same kind, of, same kind of urgency and sense of, of wanting God's best and wanting God's will to be worked out in our midst? I think the greatest challenge for this is it's so often a challenge for us in doing our spirituality uh, just as people and often I think as, as Western Christians, as individuality, we so often interpret it as for me, I fast for me to be aware and I fast so that I might know God's will for my life. But the challenge here is pushing us to, 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 to a concern for others and a, and a desire to work together to seek God's heart, to develop this hunger for those who hunger. And add to that a hunger for that which God is hungry. And then it might issue forth into loving mercy and doing justice. As we get into this passage, we see fasting and this idea of a spiritual hunger that's there too. The context of our scripture reading helps us figure out what's going on here. At the time Isaiah was writing this, there was sort of a, a spiritual complacency among the people. What they were doing was they, were look, they looked very religious. They were going through the motions of worship and it looked good from the outside But God had revealed to Isaiah and shown him that it lacked a deep connection to God. And more importantly, or worsely, it lacked compassion for those in need. They were doing their religious life, but they weren't caring for those in their midst. And so in Isaiah 58, God is trying to move them beyond this ritual. The good news is that they were fasting. The good news is they were keeping this requirement to do it on a regular basis. They were being faithful. They were keeping strict adherence to this ritual. They were playing by the rules. But it's pointed out in this text by their behavior, but their behavior was way out of line. They were mistreating their hired workers. They were quarreling and fighting among themselves. They were hardly united. And perhaps they were being like when Jesus addresses fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, they were calling attention to looking how holy they were. And that's where he says, you know, just kind of pretend, you know, wash your face, comb your hair, and don't look like you're fasting. Because there's always that pride thing of how spiritual am I? It doesn't say that in Isaiah, but I'm sure that was part of it here. 
the people of God and the leaders of God's people were hardly united in their compassion for others. It was self-serving behavior. It was self-focused behavior. And it was becoming a divisive behavior. And that's what God is addressing here. And he's moving them beyond this to his heart of caring for others. And so the passage keeps the language of fasting. Yes, a spiritual discipline and a practice, but one that does not just focus on self and rule keeping, but on what God cares about. And that's where the context of this is. So God is saying, okay, you've been doing all that fasting, but is not this the kind of fasting that I really have chosen? To break the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, and to feed the hungry. That's what you should be fasting for, says God. With this kind of focus, there is hope then for a unity in our mission together. There is a a, a creating of unity around what God desires. In this passage, God is clarifying the impact fasting should have on his people. He recognizes that they have been faithful to keep the disciplines, but they are missing the point. What God wants is for his people to grow in unity in their spiritual hunger. And the hope is that our spiritual hunger, our fasting, would unite us around what God is hungry for that we would love mercy and do justice. Hunger for those who hunger, plus a hunger for that which God is hungry, leads to loving mercy and doing justice. Let's look a little bit at that. Kayla mentioned when she sang the offertory that we had talked about this passage in Micah 6.8 back this summer when we uh, came across Micah in our study of the Minor Prophets, and Kayla introduced that. So I love that song. Um, and we revolved around this, 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 these words of loving mercy and doing justice come for this passage in Micah. And as that prophet was trying to correct those people to get them back on track to, to wholehearted worship and service of God, God says to the prophet Micah, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's rooted in our walk with God. What was going on in Isaiah 58 is, is that the people of Judah and Jerusalem are participating in ritual fasting, but their worship wasn't connecting them to what God is hungry for. And so Isaiah gives them this inspiration of what fasting is people should do and to unite them around acts of mercy, of feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, helping the homeless, doing justice, setting captives free from oppression. And then God offers this profound this promise of blessing over the people. If you do this, you will be protected. If you do this, you will be healed. If you do this, you will experience good favor from God. If you do this, you will have a respected legacy. When and if they enter into his kingdom work, and that phrase from Rise International, your light will rise in the darkness. There's a blessing that comes in honoring God's promises. Hunger for those who hunger plus hunger for that which God is hungry means loving mercy and doing justice. I want us to see what's really going on. I've preached enough about stuff. I want to talk about what's going on a little bit in our greater evangelical covenant church family and a little bit what's going on here at Naperville Covenant. Reverend Debbie Blue is, was the leader, the first leader of what was then called the Department of Compassion, Mercy, and Justice and has now become the Love, Mercy, Do Justice priority. Debbie is now retired, but uh, I've always appreciated a story she would often use to describe the difference between mercy and justice. I've shared it here before, but it bears repeating. 
Debbie tells a story about living, somebody living right next to a, a river with some rapids in it. And every day they, they started going out and every day they started to see some people washed up on the shore at the rapids by their place. And they were kind of bruised and beaten up. And so this person would, would pull them out of the water and bandage their wounds and make sure that they're okay. They were showing mercy to that person over and over again until finally they began to ask the question and they set a goal to say, you know what, I'm going to go upriver and find out what it is that's throwing them in the river. What is happening upstream and what can we do to fix that and stop that? And that's justice. Mercy is showing compassion to those who are broken in need and justice attempts to fix the causes of injustice. Justice work attempts to, to go up and fix the things that are broken so that others might not be broken by it. Biblical justice is rooted in that reality that that God is at work restoring all things and putting things which were broken in the fall into sin and putting them back together. Jesus is the repairer of broken walls. Jesus is the one who draws us back together in reconciliation to God and reconciliation to the other. And so biblical justice is rooted deeply in that as well. We get confused sometimes and say we're talking about social justice and it, it will lead us in certain situations as God leads us to what we call social justice and attempting to fix some of the things in our culture and society that are wrong. But it starts as a biblical justice. We start with a biblical justice in a God who restores and renews all things, the God we hear from in Isaiah 58. To grasp the evangelical covenant church commitment to love mercy and do justice it helps us to understand the overall mission of the covenant. I love this mission statement that former President Gary uh, Walter put together. He says, our mission is that we join God in God's mission to see more disciples among more populations in a more caring and just world. Look what's packed into that. We join with God. God invites us to join with him in, in restoring the world to see more disciples. That's evangelism. We're committed above all to seeing people come to Christ. More disciples following Jesus, a commitment to evangelism. Among more populations, and that's our commitment to diversity, our commitment to to reach all the people that God loves and to build a multi-ethnic movement where everyone comes before Christ and we worship together in a more caring and just world, and that's where love, mercy, and do justice is. In the covenant, we say we pursue this through five strategic priorities. These are the five priorities of the covenant, to start and strengthen churches, to make and deepen disciples, to develop leaders, to love mercy, do justice, and to serve globally. And those have replaced what used to be departments in the covenant. Now we have five priorities that we pursue. There's a lot of things I could talk about under love, mercy, do justice, but the one I want to hit on right now is a, is a new effort that's just being launched, and a, a great a survey just came out. Some of you received that. I did. I filled it out right away, and I'm not usually a survey taker. Um, my wife was involved in developing the survey, but that's not the only reason. I feel passionately about this, that the Covenant Church is renewing its effort to fight human trafficking. There were some wonderful initiatives that came out of Women Ministries years ago called Break the Chains, and we looked at that. We donated towards that. But this is a whole new effort that's a collaborative team of leaders from Making Deep and Disciples, from Love, Mercy, Do Justice, and Serve Globally. And Megan is on this team in helping coordinate their efforts. Human trafficking continues to be a horrible injustice being done around the world. Human trafficking exists when one human is exploited for the benefit of another human. Essentially, human trafficking results in what is modern-day slavery, forced labor. And it's everywhere. It's where you may have heard about it in the typical places of brothels in India and Thailand, but it's also nearby, and I am confident it's right here in Naperville. Behind the name of a shop that looks like something harmless, 
often that's a place where some are conscripted into labor. It's often young runaways who are taken advantage of. Those who are given jobs or promised modeling careers and then tied into a ring of prostitution against their will. That's human trafficking. And it's all over the world. The Evangelical Covenant Church is partnering with International Justice Mission, which is an incredible organization which is doing things to break up these rings and uh, using the resources of legal systems to break down walls. And so the covenant is partnering with IJM. Is it a fair way to put that? Or using their resources and support? And it will result in some resources and action steps that individual churches can take. And so if God leads us in that direction, we can be a part of that. As people of God, we believe that all persons are made in the image and likeness of God and that God desires for everyone to flourish and enjoy an abundant life as Jesus talks about it in John 10.10. And because God values every person, we believe that no one should own, coerce, or act violently towards another person. Yet today, globally, there are four and a half million people trapped in forced sexual exploitation. Trafficking is a horrible injustice that destroys life. That's just one example of what the covenant's doing to love mercy and to do justice. I just want to take a few minutes to look at what's going on here at Naperville Covenant, kind of through this lens of love, mercy, do justice. Use it as a lens through which we can view our local, regional, and global mission partnerships. We sometimes see that these are just things we do. These are the good things we do because that's what churches are supposed to do. And some feel that we're doing too many of those things. Well, not that many people are doing all of them, but, you know, whatever. So, but I want to look at them not through any of that, but rather through this lens of love, mercy, and do justice. Our global commitments at Naperville Covenant are mainly with Covenant Kids Congo and the Lise Vanette School. We support several missionaries as well, but what we highlight is this Covenant Kids Congo connection where several of you sponsor child. The injustice we're dealing with there is the injustices that go deeply, way back into the era of colonialism in Central Africa. And the long-term effects of that, and even though independence was won several decades ago, it led to several oppressive and ineffective governments. We're all over the country, and particularly in northwest Congo, where we have ministry. The government has very little impact, very little support for any kind of infrastructure. And so the injustices of colonialism and poor government have led to these beautiful, vibrant children who we have pictures of on our refrigerator who are lacking basic health care, fresh water, good education. They're lacking hope. And so by our partnership with Covenant Kids Congo, we are seeing these things happen. We are seeing these needs addressed. We are seeing some things that are broken get fixed. And through our connection with Lise Vanet School, we're seeing the same thing happen, particularly for women it's hard enough to be a person in that part of Congo. It's even worse to be a female person. And so Lisa Vanette is addressing that. We're addressing it through our sponsorship. We're addressing it through funds that come out of our garage sale. We'll be sending a check for 2000 plus to Covenant Kids Congo for water projects soon. And we've already got it on the calendar that we will do the Global 6K again on May 4th this next year and raise money for water in Congo. Our regional ministry, we chose regional, not just global, local, because we have a feel responsibility for the city of Chicago, not the whole city of Chicago, but some kind of connection there. And God has given us this wonderful relationship with YMEN, which stands for Young Men's Educational Network, even though women are part of it now too. YMEN works in the North Lawndale neighborhood, which I could go on and on here, but basically because of long-term systemic racism, that's a lot of words, 
long-term systemic racism, which has led to unjust economic policies, economic policies that have limited opportunities for educated education, limited severely opportunities to purchase homes for residents there to purchase homes, and economic policies that have prevented them from accumulating any kind of wealth or savings. Life is hard and violent in North Lawndale and on the west side of Chicago. Michael Trout started Wyman several years ago. He's a white man, but he moved in this neighborhood, bought some property on one of the worst blocks in the city. They now call that block the suburbs because he's, there's so much crime is gone from there, but um, they say that kiddingly. But Michael went, up there, went in there and he said, I'm going to go upriver and figure out and try to fix what's throwing these kids in the river. And so he went upriver and he's trying to correct some of these things so that these young men are picked up and, 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 and in an early age and get into programs where they're provided opportunities not only for education but for life skills and integrity and honor rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're, they're provided for so that they uh, provide a support to get into college. And many of them get to college and graduate and Michael's dream and it's starting to happen now is that they come back into the North Lawndale neighborhood, purchase homes, make a difference in that community. I love our connection with Wyman. We give them very little money. We don't even raise money for Wyman. We give them friendship, relationship, and partnership. We are not the rich white church helping the poor black people in the city. We partner together with Wyman. We have fun. We, we will celebrate with them on December 16th. Mark it down. If you're going to be gone in December, make sure you're here in the city. We celebrate with our friends from Wyman because we just like to party with them, because there's strength in just being friends with them and encouraging them in their ministry. We do stuff together. We go on mission trips together. We go to camp together. We go to Chick together, and we encourage them there. Locally, we address some of the injustices as well around us. Our Alden Care Center, we have worship there every Sunday, and this is mainly a ministry of mercy, but what it's doing is giving dignity to those who are easily forgotten and marginalized during the later years of their life. They are just loved every week with the mercy and joy of Christ. We've heard about loaves and fishes this morning. We've, we've, we, we see this socioeconomic diversity, and, and some of us, it's easy to question, aren't people just dropping by there to take advantage of it? And yet our partners at Loaves and Fishes, and Rich, you've seen it too, is that the, our partners, they say, really, people are in need, and they don't abuse it, and they don't overuse it. They use it when they truly need it. And it may seem that it's simply an act of mercy to help them and give them something of need. But as Rich mentioned, Naperville Cares, which provides social services, was joined in the loaves and fishes as well. And they're addressing some of the things that caused that. And so they're doing justice work. They're one of our partners. Scott School is just down the road here on Naper. And Scott School is one of the most uh, ethnically diverse I think it is the most ethnically diverse school in District 203, largely because of some Section 8 housing that feeds in there, but not exclusively because of that. But it is, um, um, uh, so it's, it's, it's beautifully diverse, but there is a larger number, a larger percentage of at-risk kids there too, where there are more and more achievement gaps. And so we're tra- seeking to address that as well. We have funded some initiatives on literacy through our garage sale funds. We have helped uh, with volunteering through the barbecue and books events the last two summers, or two summers prior to this. And a week from tomorrow night, we'll be helping with a success event uh, where we will be uh, doing some activities with the kids so some parents of minority kids can meet together and, and, and talk about how they can support one another and be united around their own cause. And other things, Bridge Communities is another one I won't go into right now, but it's helpful to see that these partnerships are not just Naperville Covenant Church doing good things because that's what churches do. But it's ways that we are loving mercy and it's ways that we are doing justice. 
The love, mercy, and compassion of Jesus in action has a power to unite us as we gather in hope for others. As followers of Christ, we are called to be united in our hunger for God and for that which God is hungry. Hunger for those who hunger, hunger for that which God is hungry, loving mercy and doing justice. The song said, break my heart for what breaks yours. It's a prayer that says, Lord, give me a holy discontent of the things that you want me to be a part of fixing. And so it leads us to ask of ourselves individually and as a church, what are we truly hunger for, hungry for when we see the needs around us? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we see you as a faithful God, a God of love, a God of deep mercy, and we have been recipients of your mercy and grace that we did not deserve, but you lavished them upon us. But God, we see that you are a God who repairs and restores and reconciles and rebuilds. We've experienced that in our individual lives as well. Help us to partner with you, Lord, as we seek to minister to others who experience that brokenness and that need together. Lord, create in us a hunger for the things for which you are hungry as we seek to love mercy and do justice in our midst. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.